Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode. Thanks for joining me again on the Karma You podcast. Hope you're well today. How are you doing? This week, I'm talking to Megan Kennedy Woodard, author of the new book, Turn the Tide on Climate Anxiety. Now, if you've been listening to this episode for a while, you'll know that I have touched on this topic before. We had Lily Cole on the podcast who has written a book called Who Cares Wins? And I also had my good friend, Dr. Emily Lines, who is a lecturer at Cambridge University, and we talked about climate anxiety as well. And so for the third time, I'm talking about this topic on the podcast. And this is because it's a topic very close to my heart. And I'm sure lots of people listening, it's, you know, it's in the last few years, this whole topic has completely exploded, hasn't it? We're hearing more and more about the climate emergency. And the more we talk about it, of course, a side effect of that is going to be people feeling more anxious about it. So yeah, and I share in this episode a bit about my own experience of climate anxiety, which has affected me and whether or not you've actually experienced, you know, full-blown anxiety about this topic or whether it's something that is kind of, you know, I think for lots of us, it's something that we maybe try not to think about and maybe is just kind of sitting at the back of our mind, kind of slowly eating away at us, ready to to pounce at any moment. And so I think it's important that we address this topic head on so that it's not just sitting in the back of our mind, kind of making us anxious in the background or or indeed making us full-blown anxious, you know, giving us full-blown anxiety about the topic of the climate to actually really address this and to talk about this. And so Megan is, yeah, chatting to me about this on the podcast today. We're talking about how she got into this area and whether she herself has experienced climate anxiety. I sometimes wonder whether it's hard not to when you start learning about what's really going on and what the scientists are talking about. I think maybe it is hard to not feel a little anxious about the future. And we get into how climate anxiety is actually different from other types of anxiety. We talk about the key distinctions and and how it is actually quite different. We talk about why you shouldn't beat yourself up. You know, you've, you've heard me say it before. It's generally never a good idea to beat yourself up about anything, particularly not about the climate. And of course, we also discuss practical tools that you can employ in your life if you're struggling with this, or perhaps if someone you know or someone you love might be struggling with this area. What are the practical things that you can do? 
So while you're here, I wanted to invite you to a free masterclass that I am running on the 31st of January. So I'd love to invite you to come on over to my website and I've got various different freebies there for supporting you on your journey to becoming a Karma You. If you head over to my website, it's karma, C-A-L-M-E-R hyphen, that's the dash, and then uyou.com. I've got loads of blog posts on there, freebies, different resources, info about how you can work with me, my courses, my membership, and all of the podcasts are also on there as well if you prefer to listen there. So yeah, just inviting you to come and see me on my website, karma-u.com. So let's get into the interview with Megan Kennedy Woodard. So welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Can you share a little bit about what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Uh, So originally I was a coaching psychologist um, and I was working in a traditional sort of psychological practice with my partner, who's a clinical psychologist in Oxford, England. Um, And a few years ago, we sort of had our patient zero who came to us um, with worries about um, what he was experiencing at work, uh, having a hard time sort of engaging socially with people, feeling withdrawn, trouble sleeping. And this was all based around his professional work, which was in climate science. And he was sort of our first person to come to us and explain these feelings that we now sort of refer to as eco anxiety or climate anxiety. And around the same time, um, my children were in eco groups and we were starting to join kind of community activities. And I noticed that a lot of the parents were really holding a lot of anxiety and worry about what to do about the planet and also how to talk to their children about it. And we saw that there was this real need for psychological support, um, but there wasn't really a model in place um, for how to kind of put this into practice. It wasn't sort of the typical things that we see in in regular anxiety. So we um, started to develop more within Um, how we could support um, the mental sort of impacts of climate change, but also promoting sustainable action. We do workshops. uh, We uh, have um, therapeutic um, programs, sort of one-on-one individuals, coaching individually and also for groups. Uh, And we also do a lot of nonprofit work and work within government organizations, uh, corporations, and nonprofits. Yeah, it sounds like it's such a a needed area and it's something that it seems like wasn't really a thing up until a few years ago it wasn't kind of mainstream it's like eco-anxiety has gone much more mainstream unfortunately recently or maybe fortunately maybe there you know we'll talk about maybe there's a good good side to it but and especially I imagine since I know COP26 since the fires in Australia all those big things in the news that are causing us to to realize more and more that you know, something's really not right. And yeah, it's such an important area to talk about. And I was kind of curious, well, I, I suppose I wanted to share that I've I've experienced eco-anxiety myself. It was when the fires were happening, I think it was summer 2019. And suddenly there was all the stuff in the news about fires in the Amazon and how, you know, fires had been burning for weeks and no one was talking about it. And suddenly it was all over the news and Lots of Indigenous people were, you know, speaking up in the news about what was going on. And I remember at that time I read this paper, which I know you do mention in your book, Deep Adaptation, I think it's called. And I had a, a sleepless night, which very rarely happens to me, even though I've had anxiety. I've never had sleepless nights because of anxiety. I've been lucky in that way. But I literally had a sleepless night that night after reading this paper and, and you know, worrying about the climate. 
can you can you talk a bit about what the signs of climate anxiety are and how common it is? You know, is it something that is just affecting climate scientists or, you know, is it much more common than that? Yeah, so um, amongst 1.2 million responses from uh, 50 worldwide countries, um, they sort of recognize that global uh, the global emergency is really here. So there's a real um, growing global awareness of climate, the climate emergency. And I think you were right to point out on um, Gerst magazine sort of said that 2019 was the year that the word eco-anxiety sort of hit pop culture. You started seeing it in music, in um, movies, I think even Big Little Lies, for example, which was a quite a popular American show. There was a whole episode on the children experiencing this eco-anxiety and that real growing awareness um, comes with both the fear of anxiety or the fear of climate change, but also we're seeing that with the fear, there's a lot of motivation to do something about it. So this is quite a positive aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose fear can be motivating, can't it? Worries can get us off our backsides and get us changing things. You know, hopefully it's not well, for so crippling that we can't can't take any action. Obviously, we don't want to be so bad that we just can't move forwards or can't can't even think about it. But yeah, a little bit of worry can be quite helpful. And that's one of the things that we recognize that's really important because as you were saying, you know, sleeplessness is something that a lot of people um, sort of experience, um, kind of a numbness, that paralysis and inability to do anything. And that's the exact opposite of what we need everyone doing. And that's when we can come in and we can sort of help people to validate and acknowledge, you know, the impacts this has on us emotionally, um, but also recognize that we need to put into place that action that keeps us really motivated and self-efficient and and sort of engaged in the work that we're doing because that's what the planet needs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And is this something that you see a lot in, in children then and young people? And what sort of things do you notice, you know, with that group? Yeah, so I, I would say that um, this is something that can affect anyone of any age all over the world. And, um, you know, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of research up until this point. But in the last year or two, there have been some really significant studies. Um, the Avast study was just done. It came out, I think, in September of this year. Um, and it was recognizing that a huge percentage of young people feel, you know, extremely worried, um, feel let down by their governments um, and let down by corporations and anger towards what's happening. Um, but then again, we also see young people really leading the, the movement of this and really making the difference and getting people onto the street and mobilizing and um, really connecting with people from all around the world. And that's had a huge impact in um, sort of the conversations around climate change, the conversations around emotions with climate change, and really sort of having a much bigger impact than the generations before have been willing to sort of take and connect with. So it's been really positive in a lot of ways, the way young people have engage with this right yeah 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 and I just I copied and pasted some something from your book so a recent British survey this is by Triodos Bank suggested that young people were most affected across the age ranges 34% of the British public reported feeling anxious because of the environmental emergency 29% described feeling overwhelmed and this figure rose to 40% amongst younger people so the 16 to 24 year olds so 40% is a huge number of people to be 
feeling anxious about this. And there was the, um, there was the Washington post Kaiser foundation poll that was done in 2019. And again, they reported that 57% of people felt afraid. 52% felt angry. 43% felt helpless, but again, 54% expressed feelings motivated and like they were really ready to engage with this. So people that have experienced climate anxiety are more likely to um, engage in climate action. And that's something that we really want to focus on is really helpful in this situation. We always say that it's anxiety to action, but we've sort of recently realized that what it needs to be is climate anxiety to sustainable climate action, because we want people that are highly engaged, highly emotionally engaged, um, really taking that self-care and acknowledging how um, this really impacts them mentally in order to support themselves so they can sustain that long-term action. And that's, that's really something that has developed into being important. Again, young actors are really good at this. They start with self-care. They're really connected to their peers. So they've really set a good example of how we can all engage. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. How, how is climate anxiety different from other types of anxiety? Because a lot of the work that I do with people, you know, helping them with anxiety is about, you know, reframing their thoughts or, you know, helping them to feel um, safe and not necessarily telling them that it's going to be okay, but there is an aspect of that, you know, your thoughts are not real, you know, the worst case scenario is probably not going to happen. Mm. How is climate anxiety different? Because I suppose the threat, it is a real threat in this case. Mm. It's not just in our heads. I think this goes back to sort of how we originally started engaging with it because it's, not something that sort of like with health anxiety, for example, we could potentially challenge or we could look at sort of the thoughts based around that anxiety or um, an ang- uh, you know anxiety over spiders or anxiety over clowns or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like actually when we're looking at this, um, this isn't like don't be afraid of the monster under your bed. There's something that's the biggest threat to humanity that we've faced. And so it, in the sense, it is kind of a unique stressor because um, there's also a global understanding of it. There's a global awareness of it. The threat is absolutely real, how you've said. Another issue with this is the status is always kind of changing. So it's really hard to understand how anxious we should feel about this or shouldn't feel about this at every, any given moment, because there's such an onslaught of information. And the way that it's communicated in the past has often been doom, gloom, a faraway problem. You know, we say that the, um, the climate crisis kind of has an image problem because it makes it really hard for us to engage without either feeling deeply anxious or just having to kind of put it out of our minds. And so understanding kind of that balance of um, helpful anxiety, where, where it's helped to motivate us, where it's helped us to identify our values and our goals, that's where we can kind of lean into this anxiety in a way that um, sort of health anxiety would be, we, you know, we would we would approach that in a different way. And again, that's really connecting to um, sort of what's going to help sustain that action because with health anxiety, for example, it wouldn't necessarily be so much about taking action. It would be about readdressing, you know, those thoughts and thinking traps and things like that. Whereas this, um, it's really important to kind of accept and validate the emotions that come with this. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And I know you talk about in the book, how important it is to recognize, name, and normalize the emotions that people are feeling. Yeah. Can you can you talk about that a bit? What what do you mean by by that? 
Certainly. So, I mean, it was interesting how you sort of mentioned that this has kind of come into um, the the pop culture lexicon recently. Um, but this is something that people from all over the world have been experiencing for a long time. Um, and it's really important to recognize that those are sort of the people in MAPA areas, um, most affected people in areas, traditionally kind of referred to as the global south. But indigenous communities who have seen um, loss of um, livelihood, loss of environments, loss of species. So this is something that is and this is kind of new on, on sort of our global north barometer, but it's something that's been here for a long time. Glenn Albrecht was um, an Australian um, psychologist and sort of identified different sort of eco emotions. And this was recently um, sort of shifted in, in a really great way by Isaiah Hernandez, who's um, an activist and um, environmental educator. Um, and he goes under the um, handle Queer Brown Vegan, and he sort of distills climate information in really um, helpful ways. And he took Albrecht's sort of scale and identified some of the different things that we can experience. And it's anything from um, eco-rage, which is like anger towards uh, systems in charge. Um, and so something that we really notice a lot is there's and there's a real underlying anger for people and specifically in younger people, they experience that real sort of disempowerment and, um, and disappointment in the governments and systems that should be in charge. Um, eco grieving and grief is something that um, is for people that are sort of deeply aware of what's happening has been um, a process that we've worked through a lot in the sense of there isn't really a great space for people to talk about eco grief because for some people, if it's, if it's sort of a direct threat, if you've um, immediately lost a loved one due to a flood or a fire, um, that grieving is sort of normalized and okay, but actually um, grieving species, grieving ecosystems, grieving sort of the future of what you'd hoped for um, is something that I think we do need to normalize more and talk about more. There's also that eco-paralysis that we talk about, which means that we're just, you know, sort of unable to take any actions. Our defense mechanisms are up to, you know, 100% and we can't really go about our day-to-day -day lives, let alone all the action that we need to be taking for the planet. But on the other hand, there's also some really positive eco-emotions that we can sort of take away from. And, and I know that um, eco-anxiety is sort of the umbrella term, um, but we have so many people reporting motivation, feeling proud, feeling connected um, with, uh, with other people, but also with the planet. And then, you know, really motivated, hopeful. And these are really important things to sort of lean into. And that really helps to manage that anxiety. And this is the way that we can sort of move away from that traditional, oh, how we challenge anxiety we can sort of build those shifts in what if we moved this fear and anger towards love and connection. And that's a really helpful way of kind of overcoming that anxiety. This episode of the Calm You podcast is sponsored by my online course, Your Calmest Self. It's a course that gives you the tools to manage your anxiety without having to quit your life, move to an island and meditate for 10 hours a day. So this course is for you if you're somebody that constantly worries about what other people think of you. You hold yourself back from setting big goals because you're anxious and overwhelmed and unable to move forward with things. It's for you if you flop into bed every night exhausted by another anxious day, wishing you could just switch off and relax. It's for you if you don't speak up about things because you're nervous about getting it wrong or what people will say, whether they'll judge you. And it's for you if you've got a loud inner critic that puts you down all the time and stops you from doing the things that you want to do in your life. If this sounds like you, I'm here to help you change that. In this online course for anxiety, your calmer self, I teach you the tools and techniques to become a calmer and more confident version of yourself. 
I use powerful hypnotherapy recordings and exercises from cognitive behavioural therapy, NLP, positive psychology and more. If you'd like to live an anxiety-free life of confidence and calmness, come and take a look at my course at karma-u.com forward slash program. So it's karmau.com forward slash program. Yeah. And so, okay, so taking action is a really important part of it, basically. And what does that look like if someone's listening and they're, they're thinking, you know, I'm feeling anxious, I've been ruminating over different things, but I haven't got to that stage where I'm actually taking action. Mm. Are there certain things that you would recommend someone to do? Mm. I think the first action that we can take is that self-care. And again, this is something that all our activists, all the researchers and sustainability people um, that struggle with climate anxiety, if they go to that place of self-care first, that's where they can really move from that sort of scarcity of there's not enough time, there's not enough I can do, it doesn't matter what I do, it won't be enough, into a place of more, oh, there's so much we can do. That's that, that thought shift. Um, there's so many options. There's so much being done already. Um, and again, if we start with that self-care place, so that's um, connecting with others, um, joining community groups that, that you know reflect your values and your interests in, the, in environmental protection, that's such a good way of taking that pressure off of feeling like it's all on us to fix alone because it's absolutely not. Um, again, noticing that scarcity versus abundance, taking breaks from climate work. So sometimes it's actually taking a break before you even start and getting kind of a hold on, well, what's important? Where are my values? What do I care about? Is it a specific species? Um, is it about um, more equality? And that can kind of help us to form our goals on, and help us kind of make plans for what actions we want to take. Um, so interacting with nature is a great way to sort of restore that balance and reconnect. Um, as coaches, we love, we love maintaining schedules. So that's something that's really helpful um, in helping people set meaningful goals and meaningful actions. So starting with small things, you know, I think it's, uh, there's a great quote that says, you know, people don't, um, I think it's Anne-Marie Bono, who's the zero waste chef. She says, people don't stop using plastic straws and, and there. It sort of is like a gateway to all the moral climate work that you can do. So it's sort of building in that self-efficacy of starting small with doable actions and then noticing them, celebrating them and expanding on them from there and there. And it does have kind of a snowball effect and people really end up enjoying and loving and being prolific in their climate action because of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I can see how it becomes something that snowballs once you start getting into learning about this or learning about how to reduce waste or reduce your plastic. You, you know, there's something inside that makes you want to do more of it well, one thing I notice myself is like kind of a guilt or beating myself up about things because it's a silly example but like <laughs> I should be making hummus myself rather than buying hummus in a plastic container you know I'm aware you know it'd be better if I wasn't using so many plastic containers and buying them from the shops and putting them in the recycling but it's like I'm, I haven't quite made that effort to actually do that um, and that might be because of time, that might be because of, I don't know, certain limitations. And certainly I'm in a position where I'm a lot more privileged than a lot of people, whereby I can afford to buy things from plastic-free shops, which can sometimes be more expensive. What would you suggest for people who've kind of got guilt? Maybe they haven't, I don't know what it is, I need maybe more motivation to make more of an effort or, you know, is beating yourself up 
helpful? What, what, what sort of advice do you have for people like me struggling with this? Well, I'd never say beating yourself up is helpful. <laughs> um, but I would say, what does that guilt reveal about a value that's not sort of matching up with um, your green identity? So perhaps you're feeling like, oh, I really should be doing this and I want to be doing that. But what's that little behavioral nudge that's going to get you to that place? And so um, for each person, it's going to be different. So actually for you, it might be, you know, hummus is a great, let's go with hummus as an example. Um, but, you know, it might be, oh, I want to try some new hummus recipes. So actually looking at um, some really delicious new recipes that you want to try and actually gaining that motivation of, oh, I don't want to just buy the same one that I always get in the shop over and over again. I want to experiment. I want to play around with it, make it a bit more fun, have a hummus party, get community, you know, get, get friends involved, show them, oh, actually I'm doing this to cut down on waste, but also isn't this delicious because suddenly you're nudging other people. You're building that identity, not just towards yourself, but around other people. And you can do this with anything. Hummus is an example, but it could be, um, oh, you know, we're, we're biking to school. Do you guys want to come with us and we can pick you up on the way. And suddenly you've got the whole neighborhood biking along rather than taking cars. So it's about nudging others. And as we nudge others, we start to kind of create the story and um, the persona that we want to be in our climate action. And then it actually becomes quite like um, sort of uncomfortable for us to reach for the plastic hummus because we know, actually, no, I can make this. It's going to taste better. It's going to be healthier. And if I think about where every ingredient from where that came, it's like, actually, that has a big impact. And that's something that I can do. And again, this is completely scalable. Start with hummus then, you know, build out, get your whole neighborhood on solar, da, 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 da. but it's like, it does have that effect around you. So I think that that's a good way to start is do something that's e- easy, meaningful and impactful. And then that way you can kind of go from there. And again, it snowballs. Okay. So I feel excited about making hummus now. We need to get away from the whole thing of, oh, this is so hard and it's going to be so difficult. It's like, you know, it's actually really easy to shift behavior if you feel excited and motivated to do it. If you're, if you're self-flatulating that guilt, it's, it's only going to get you so far, but mm. um, if it gets you a little ways, okay, but it's easier to do that if you're, you know, enjoying it and excited. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Going to go and make some hummus. <laughs> Are there reasons for people to feel hopeful or optimistic or positive about, about this, the whole situation? Oh, I think absolutely. I think that that's how, you know, I think that that's really going to be the change in this is because there's so, I I just look around and I see so many people doing so many amazing things. Um, I talked to a young activist and uh, she said that she has a friend on every continent, lots of friends on every continent working against climate change and, and working to reverse systems of injustice. And there's just everywhere she looks, there are more and more um, grassroots people popping up and communities popping up. And I look around sort of just in our local community and even in our building, we've started to recycle, we've started, or not recycle, we started to compost and other people are doing it too. You know, it's like, actually there's so much in terms of, individual motivation, but also technology that's really there. You know, we say we have the technology to save us, but not without the stories that engage us. What we need is we need to start building these stories of hope and community and um, enthusiasm and motivation and energy that's really positive for people because that's what's going to make the shift from, oh gosh, that's too scary, too hard to deal with, too much, to that abundance zone of this is so great. Look what everyone's doing. Look how involved we all are. 
And that does come down to individuals and communities, but also it's, it really gives us that sense of there's this huge force that's pushing all of those bigger systems above the political systems and the economic systems. Like actually, if you've got that like huge pull from underneath, that's where you can actually get those systems to affect change. And I think that that gives me a lot of hope for all the people that are doing everything. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I like that. Can you repeat that phrase again about, what did he say, about the stories that engage us? Can you say that again? So we say that um, we have the technology that can save us, but not without the stories that engage us. Mm-hmm. So this is this is another really important aspect of um, climate emotions, but also climate work is talking about it, you know, talking about how it makes us feel and normalizing it and then talking about what we want to do about it, how we're going to do, uh, do it, who we can get to connect with us, who we can get alongside us doing it together. You know, it's really part of this shift that needs to happen in narrative that, um, you know, keeps us in that paralysis zone and moves us into that sustainable action zone. And I was curious as well, on a, on a kind of personal level, what's it like for you doing this work? Because I can imagine, I mean, I, I suppose as a coach or therapist, sometimes you do get affected by the people that one works with. I think that's, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know it's hard not to as a human to get affected by things. If you're hearing a lot of people's worries, have you experienced eco-anxiety? What's it like for you to sort of really be involved in this area um yeah thank you it's a good question it's um it's something that I think I sort of was new to the the information was quite new to me a few years ago and um I went to a talk that was much deeper science than I'd ever sort of been exposed to before and um I was feeling really interested by it um curious about it yeah just I was interested and I went along to um a protest and um, it suddenly just this, the emotion behind it just kind of hit me. I, I sort of locked eyes with this protester who was being arrested and I felt this really deep connection to what was going on and this sort of, it felt like it kind of hit me. Um, and I would say I actually experienced some climate grief then. And I really, you know, I even had, <laughs> I even had a few days on the couch where I just thought, what, what can I do? Do I move to, do I move somewhere and become a farmer? And I, you know, I can kill an orchid. So I didn't think that was going to be a good option, <laughs> but it's like, you know, and, and so, um, I realized like if, if I'm a coach and I've got this psychological background and I know what's happening here and I'm having such a hard time with this, like there's, this is something that really needs to be addressed and supported. And again, it comes back to that sort of impact, ease and meaning. And what does this mean for me? Well, I deeply want to help, um, you know, the climate crisis. And, you know, it's it's really important for me to know that, you know, my family's safe, that my children are safe, that communities that are in danger are safe. And so suddenly I kind of anchored into what I cared about. And it was moving from that grief to this love and this feeling of needing to protect it. And then it was, um, well, where can I have the biggest impact? coaching was obvious because that sort of is how I can engage people and I know how to support people. And it kind of made it easy because there were already the communities there that needed it. And it was just a matter of finding the right methods and the right um, sort of um, ways to support that group. So for me, it really helped to acknowledge those big feelings once I knew the truth and then move into that sustainable action. And so now when I do have little blips of, Ooh, that's making me feel, you know, if I see someone's car idling, I hate that. And, but it's also knowing that actually I can walk by it and feel stressed by it, or I can politely go and say, do you know how much you can save on your gas bills or your petrol bills? If you actually just don't leave your car idling, because some people just don't know. 
know. And some people tell me to go away. And either way, I'm, I can deal with that because I've taken that action that I feel like I need to take. So it's feeling, helping people to feel empowered, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, okay, good to know about the car, car idling. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, do you, is there anything else you think is important for people to know? Any kind of final message that you would want people to know about, about this this topic? Um, I think that, you know, I think that it's really, again, about validating and normalizing the emotions that are there for you and on any given day, because these fluctuate. Some days we're going to feel really strong and resilient and other days we're going to feel that real scarcity. Um, And again, leaning into that self-care when you do, connecting with others and nudging others to take climate action along with you. And also sort of giving up the myth of perfectionism because we're not all going to be able to do this perfectly. And we don't need one person doing it perfectly. You know, we need a lot of people doing it imperfectly. And that's really important. But again, sort of, you know, there's so much that we can be doing. We can be educating ourselves. We can be taking individual action. We can be voting um, not only with our votes, but with our wallets. And that's a really good way to sort of shift systems as well. So yeah, just, just decide three easy things that you can do this week and go from there. Mm, love it love it and yeah I love that idea of voting with your wallet you know mm. where you put your money is really powerful isn't it and we can support companies that are doing a better job and um help to spread the word about them thank you so much for everything that you've shared it's been so interesting I think it's such a fascinating topic and I loved your book the book's called turn the tide on climate anxiety and where can people find out more about you and get your book and that sort of thing we are at um, climatepsychologist.com and uh, you can link out to our book from there. Also, uh, feel free to share the book because we want people to, um, as many people reading it as possible with the, the sort of minimal impact. So um, pass it on once you've read it. And we're also on Twitter at Climate Psychologist and Instagram as well. So Amazing. Thank you so much for everything you shared. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget, you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.